Part three of Offenses Against Oneself by Jeremy Bentham. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leon Meyer. Offenses Against Oneself. Pederasty. By Jeremy Bentham. Part three. How is it at Otaheite? To judge how far the regular intercourse between the sexes is probably affected by this contraband intercourse in countries where, as in Europe, the gratification of the venereal appetite is kept upon a footing of restraint, it may help us a good deal if we observe in what degree it is affected by the latter in countries where the gratification of that appetite is under no restraint. If in those countries pederasty prevailed to so considerable a degree as to occasion a visible diminution of the regard that was shown to women, this phenomenon, unless it could be accounted for from other causes, would afford a strong argument to prove that prevalence of it might have the effect of diminishing the regard that might otherwise be paid to them in other countries, and that the prevalence of it in those countries was owing not to the comparative difficulty of getting women, but to a comparative indifference, such as might turn to the prejudice of the women in any state of things, and, in short, that what was transferred to boys was so much clear loss to women. But the fact is that in Otaheite it does not appear that this propensity is at all prevalent. If it were more frequent than the regular connection, in what sense could it be termed unnatural? The nature of the question admits of great latitude of opinion. For my own part, I must confess, I cannot bring myself to entertain so high a notion of the alluringness of this preposterous propensity as some men appear to entertain. I cannot suppose it to be possible it should ever get to such a height as that the interests of the female part of the species should be materially affected by it or that it could ever happen that, were they to contend upon equal ground, the eccentric and unnatural propensity should ever get the better of the regular and natural one. Could we for a moment suppose this to be the case, I would wish it to be considered what meaning a man would have to annex to the expression, when he bestows on the propensity under consideration the epithet of unnatural. If, contrary to all appearance, the case really were that, if all men were left perfectly free to choose, as many men would make choice of their own sex as of the opposite one, I see not what reason there would be for applying the word natural to the one than to the other. All the difference would be that the one was both natural and necessary, whereas the other was natural but not necessary. If the mere circumstance of its not being necessary were sufficient to warrant the terming it unnatural, it might as well be said that the taste a man has for music is unnatural. My wonder is how any man who is at all acquainted with the most amiable part of the species should ever entertain any serious apprehensions of their yielding the ascendant to such unworthy rivals. Among the ancients, whether it excluded not the regular taste. A circumstance that contributes considerably to the alarms entertained by some people on this score is the common prejudice which supposes that the one propensity is exclusive of the other. 
This notion is, for the most part, founded on prejudice, as may be seen in the works of a multitude of ancient authors, in which we continually see the same person at one time stepping aside in pursuit of this eccentric kind of pleasure, but at other times diverting his inclination to the proper object. Horace, in speaking of the means of satisfying the venereal appetite, proposes to himself, as a matter of indifference, a prostitute of either sex, and the same poet, who, forgetting himself now and then, says a little here and there about boys, says a great deal everywhere about women. The same observation will hold good with respect to every other personage of antiquity, who, either by his own account or that of another, is represented to us as being infected with this taste. It is so in all the poets who in any of their works have occasion to say anything about themselves. Some few appear to have had no appetite for boys, as is the case, for instance, with Ovid, who takes express notice of it and gives a reason for it. But it is a never-failing rule, wherever you see anything about boys, you see a great deal more about women. Virgil has one Alexis, but he has Galateas in abundance. Let us be unjust to no man, not even to a pederast. In all antiquity there is not a single instance of an author, nor scarce an explicit account of any other man, who was addicted exclusively to this taste. Even in modern times, the real women-haters are to be found not so much among pederasts, as among monks and Catholic priests, such of them, be they more or fewer, who think and act in consistency with their profession. Reason why it might be expected so to do. I say even in modern times, for there is one circumstance which should make this taste where it does prevail much more likely to be exclusive at present than it was formerly. I mean the severity with which it is now treated by the laws, and the contempt and abhorrence with which it is regarded by the generality of the people. If we may so call it, the persecution they meet with from all quarters, whether deservedly or not, has the effect in this instance which persecution has, and must have, more or less, in all instances, the effect of rendering those persons who are the objects of it more attached than they would be otherwise to the practice it proscribes. It renders them the more attached to one another, sympathy of itself having a powerful tendency, independent of all other motives, to attach a man to his own companions in misfortune. This sympathy has, at the same time, a powerful tendency to beget a proportionable antipathy, even towards all such persons as appear to be involuntary, much more to such as appear to be the voluntary, authors of such misfortune. When a man is made to suffer, it is enough on all other occasions to beget in him a prejudice against those by whose means, or even for whose sake, he is made to suffer. When the hand of every man is against a person, his hand, or his heart at least, will naturally be against every man. It would therefore be rather singular if, under the present system of manners, these outcasts of society should be altogether so well disposed towards women as in ancient times, when they were left unmolested. The Helots had no great regard, as we may suppose, for the Lacedaemonians, Negroes, we may suppose, have not now any violent affection for negro drivers. The Russian boors for the boyards that are their masters. 
native Peruvians for Spaniards, Halishores for Brahmins, Bison, Chatteries, these for justices and hangmen, nor insolvent debtors for bumbailiffs. It would not be wonderful if a miserable pederast of modern times should look upon every woman as a merciless creditor, at whose suit he is in continual danger of being consigned not to a prison only, but either to the gallows or to the flames. The reason which there may be in point of utility, or on any other account, for treating these people of such severity, makes no difference in the sentiments which such severity is calculated to inspire. For whatever reason there may be, they, one may be certain, do not see it. Spite of such powerful incentives, it does not appear that the effect of this propensity is in general, even under the present system, to inspire in those who are infected with it an aversion or even indifference to the other sex. A proof how powerful the force of nature is, and how little reason the sex whose dominion is supported by the influence of pleasure, have for being apprehensive of any permanent alienation in the affections of those fugitive vassals, were no harsh measure taken to drive them into rebellion. The notion that it does has sometimes operated by accident in favor of persons under prosecution. The popular notion that all pederasts are in proportion women-haters is the ground of a medium of exculpation which we see commonly adopted in the few instances that occur in England of a man's being prosecuted for this offense. It is common in any such case for those who are concerned in behalf of the defendant to produce as many presumptions as they can collect of his propensity to women. Such evidence may have some weight with those who are under the influence of this prejudice, although the many instances in which it has been opposed by the clearest positive evidence of the fact are sufficient to themselves to show the weakness of it. It may be of use to mention this to the end that, if it should be thought expedient to punish this offense, those who are to judge it may be put on their guard against a medium of exculpation which appears to be fallacious. As it excludes not the regular taste, it is liable to disturb marriage. This circumstance, however, which in one set of circumstances tends to the exculpation of the practice in question, in another situation of things, and in another point of view, operates to the combination of it. I have already given the considerations which seem to render it probable that this propensity does not in any considerable degree stand in the way of marriage. On that occasion we took it for granted, for the time, that if it did not hinder a man from engaging a matrimonial connection, it was of no prejudice to the other sex at all. When a man was once lodged within the pale of matrimony, we took no notice of any danger there might be of his deviating afterwards into such extravagances. This, however, is an event which, from the two propensities not appearing to be exclusive of one another, we have reason a priori to suppose not to be in itself absolutely improbable, and which from occasional observation, but particularly from ancient history, we find not to be uncommon. The wretches who are prosecuted for this offense often turn out to be married men. The poet Marshall, we find, has a wife with whom he is every now and then jarring on the score of the complaints she makes of his being unfaithful to her in this way. 
It is to be considered, however, that it is not to the amount of the whole sum of the infidelities the husband is guilty of in this way, that a wife is a sufferer by this propensity, but only to the surplus, whatever it may be, over and above what, were it not for this propensity, the same man would be guilty of in the natural way. A woman would not be a sufferer by this propensity any further than as it betrays her husband into an act of infidelity, to which he would not have been betrayed by the allurements of any female rival. Supposing the degree of infidelity in both cases to be equal, there seems reason to think that a woman would not be so much hurt by an infidelity of this sort, as by an infidelity into which her husband had been betrayed by a person of her own sex. An attachment of the former kind could not be lasting, that is, confined for any length of time to the same individual. Of the other she might not be satisfied, but that it might be lasting. It is for the same reason that a woman's affection would not be so much wounded, however her pride might, by her husband's intriguing with a servant wench, or other woman of a condition very much her inferior, as by his intriguing with a woman of a condition near about the level of her own. It is indeed a general observation, that in all cases of rivalry the jealousy is the greater, the nearer in all respects the condition of the rival is to your own. It is on the same principle that in matters of religion, Jansenists and Molinists are often apt to be more averse to one another than either are to Protestants, Methodists and regular Church of England men than either are to Presbyterians, Protestants and Catholics than either are to Jews, and in general schismatics in any church than either are to heretics or persons of a different religion. This at least would seem likely to have been the case in times in which the propensity was not held in the abhorrence in which it is held at present, and where, consequently, the wife would not have, as at present, to add to her other motives of concern, the infamy with which, under the present system, it is one effect of such behavior to cast upon any man who is guilty of it. End of Part 3